podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. My brother-in-law died suddenly, and now my sister and her kids have to sell their home. That's why I told my husband we could not put off getting life insurance any longer. An agent offered us a 10-year, $500,000 policy for nearly $50 a month. Then we called SelectQuote. SelectQuote found us identical coverage for only $19 a month, a savings of $369 a year. Whether you need a $500,000 policy or a $5 million policy, SelectQuote could save you more than 50% on term life insurance. For your free quote, go to SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote.com. That's SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote. We shop. You save. Full details on example policies at SelectQuote.com slash commercials. Decent freebies in football are hard to find, certainly for Palace. Guaita has worked out. Cahill, too. But then there's been Yak, Rakip, Henderson, Meyer, Bakary Sacco, twice. Well, now our friends at Beer52 are offering FYP listeners a freebie that really works. A free case of award-winning beer. Now, that's a deal we can all get behind. All you have to do is go to beer52.com forward slash FYP and cover the £5.95 postage. And they'll deliver this exclusive case worth 24 quid right to your door. Now, unlike Palace's scouting network, Beer52 are experts at finding the very best beer anywhere on the planet. Every month they visit a different country, find the best small batch breweries, sample their finest craft beer, and then carefully curate a case to send to their lucky members. Beer52's 150,000 strong legion of members rate the beer they receive each month, and this month the case is a collection of the highest rated beers over the last 12 months. From Germany's ancient ABK brewery, we have the snappily titled Edel Spicel Beer, who sounds like the sort of player Palace might be linked with in January. Or there's Kvek Session IPA from Garden Brewery in Croatia. And closer to home, West Yorkshire's Vocation, a super hoppy, hazy pale ale. Now, don't worry, if you don't like the dark beer, you can choose the light option. And each case also comes with the award-winning beer magazine Ferment, as well as a tasty snack to enjoy along with your beer. Plus, there's no minimum commitment. And just like Dave Bassett in 1984 when he became Palace Manager, you can change your mind and pause or cancel your subscription at any time. So just go to beer52.com forward slash FYP to claim your free case of eight craft beers now. That's the word beer, the numbers 52.com forward slash FYP. Right, on with the podcast. Welcome to the Five Year Plan Podcast. Wow, melodic. (laughs) That was beautiful. Uh, It's pod 356, and this week we're reviewing Palace's 2-0 defeat at Wolves uh, on Friday night. Uh, Joining me to discuss that, we have returning, it's Chloe Petz. Hello to you. Hello, how are you? Good, not too bad. How are you? Yeah, yeah, I'm fine. Um, I, I was obviously just saying before the um, podcast that I've been recovering from COVID. And I think that the thing that is worse than um, the symptoms is that very early on into my quarantine, I rewrote We've Got Kelly, Martin Kelly, um, with lyrics, I've Got 19, COVID-19. And I think that my flatmates became incredibly infuriated at my persistence in singing that song around the flat. Um, 
but yeah, I'm, 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 I'm good and I'm glad to be here with you guys. Oh, it was great to have you here. And if I get COVID, I'm going to sing the same song in my house. I'll send uh, you the full lyric, the, the full <laughs> lyric breakdown, Jim. <laughs> we can have a little Zoom sing along together. <laughs> oh, that'll just get me through the day. Let's just do it anyway. Um, Jesse Boyce is also here. Uh, how are you doing? Not too bad, Jim. Good to be back after another Pardew's Hot Pants this week. I've uh, been seeing a lot of you. We have so, seen, uh, people are going to start talking, we've seen a lot of each other, um, <laughs> and if you haven't heard the Pardew's Hot Pants episode this week, it's Stag Do 11, and I would recommend it because it's, um, it was interesting, wasn't it, Jesse? <laughs> yeah, it was, it was full of highlights, um, made me want to go on that Stag Do by the end of it. Yeah, um, it would be, yeah. it would be a good one. Um, actually, no, you wouldn't. Have you, be... have you heard that? Have you heard it, Chloe or Adam? I've uh, heard t- it. T- tomorrow that one is on the way on my four hour <laughs> drive backwards and forwards. You're on that tomorrow. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing Street will be listening in case you said anything libelous as well. But uh, we did uh, actually, I did have to bleep out quite a fair amount actually. <laughs> um, so you can try and guess what we bleeped out. Um, and that voice, of course, is our final guest today. It's Mr. Adam Sells. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. JD. Not on top of the world, but I'm all right. Ah, oh, we'll take that. We'll take that. Oh. Yes, it was not uh, a vintage performance from Palace on Saturday, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But after, we've had a drum roll for a random patron, please. Beautiful. It's Mr. This is a great name, by the way. Mr. Michael Melody. Hey. Hi. Hi, Michael. Yeah, I'm glad to see you're in tune with us, Michael. Oh, Brilliant. Never heard that one before. Yeah. Brilliant. Uh, Never been said before, I'm sure, Michael. Poor Michael, <laughs> you probably heard that numerous times. Uh, you can join our Patreon, like Michael, and get all the rewards that entails, including the post-match podcast, patron-only merch, and access to the patron-only WhatsApp club at patreon.com forward slash FYP podcast uh okay so uh let's talk about the wars game uh chloe it was now i have to admit the reason i wasn't on the post-match pod i missed a lot of the second half because maria uh woke up and i was resettling her um and i think i probably made the right decision because it wasn't a great performance from palace it was really similar to that game in in lockdown we just sort of didn't quite turn up and again sort of hit quite early doors i mean it's it was frustrating, wasn't it? Yeah, I wish I'd had a baby that I had to settle instead of <laughs> watching that second half because we huffed and we puffed and there wasn't really much going on. And I think I think our performances at the moment are going to make us better podcasters because we're going to have to find um, more sort of flamboyant ways to say one of two things every time, which is either, oh, that negative, boring performance was terrible and we... Uh, offered nothing or that negative boring performance was a tactical masterclass <laughs> we we ground out a win <laughs> it's just it's, it's just the same thing to different ends and like we were completely overwhelmed by Wolves's um sort of three at the back with win backs tactical play and we insisted on trying to play out from the back every time they just boxed us in um and all it was we were passing it between the back four and there was no movement in front of the back four. It was very, very slow, very, very lethargic. And we'd end up knocking it long or trying to play it through and losing it and just cause ourselves loads of problems. Um, so I, I think it was a completely lack, lackluster performance, but 
I, I just think we're going to alternate between between that and grinding out wins this season. I think I think that that's what we've got to accept. That's where we're at. What we could do is record two versions of that podcast, and then I'll just change the name and I upload it, and then to save us all the effort of turning up on a Tuesday evening. I honestly think you could at this point, mate. <laughs> I really think you could. <laughs> See if anyone notices. <laughs> we'll just, okay, just don't mention any players or teams and we'll just talk generally about the game and see if people um, notice. Yeah, Selzy, actually, I want to talk to you about, about the goals, actually. Um, I actually did a bit of... I don't know where I got the time from, but I did a little bit of frame-by-frame um, frame reviewing of the second goal in particular, which had come on the counter-attack after Palace had uh, lost the ball uh, from a throw-in. And it was one of those goals uh, where there was numerous mistakes along the way. Batshuayi gives it away. Dan gets dragged out. Uh, Kiate stands up his man and sort of gets spun on the edge of the box. Klein, you can see Klein almost going, where do I, do I cover my man or do I go yeah. in the middle? Goes in the middle, wrong choice because it's his man that ends up prodding it in. Um, so it's one of those things where there's obviously multiple uh, mistakes that happen. Three mistakes lead to a goal, JD. Remember that phrase? I have found myself... Get that one on the bingo. I have found myself saying that um, a lot. But it's... it's it's frustrating. It's frustrating errors, isn't it, to, to make? Because really, it's, it's errors that a Roy Hodgson team should, probably shouldn't be making. Well, I mean, I... I didn't take it all in immediately uh, on Friday, but then when I look back on on Saturday at the goals in a bit more detail, my brother interestingly said to me something Friday night about the game, and I didn't pick it up. And the second goal, for example, that you were talking about, I thought Scott Dan, and he, he mentioned this to me, and I thought Scott Dan, having looked back at it, could have put his head towards the cross and headed the ball out of play as the ball was delivered. It almost looked like it it sort of went right across the front of his face. And, he, you know, if, he, if he'd extended his neck a little bit, he might have been able to get something on it and put it behind. I mean, the first goal was... Well, I think in, in, in the game, you saw in, in 1 minute 23 seconds, or whatever the difference was, the pros and cons of Patrick Van Arnholt because... As a rampaging left-back going forward, he's absolutely mm. terrific and probably as good as most in the Premier League. Delivers a great ball for Batshuayi to score, marginally offside. You know, when I say marginally, I, I, I'm all for a rule change here that there's got to be some kind of daylight between the players in order for it to be deemed offside. I don't think a shoulder or a knee or whatever it is should really be deemed offside. And and then a minute later, the ball's behind him on the left side. He doesn't stop the cross. First header, I think it's check goes up and gets a flick. Uh, Klein's already had to track the, the immediate danger of the man that's that's running. And uh, and then Townsend doesn't track um, Art Nuri, who ends up lashing the ball uh, across the goalkeeper into the net. So, I mean, I think... I think there's, you know, there's a couple of facts. There, there were a series of mistakes for both goals. And in the mid-third, probably of the first half, as Chloe was alluding to there, the two wing-backs from Wolves caused us a lot of trouble. And perhaps we only got a real foothold in the game thereafter when we when we put Schlupp in, in the sort of three and then Wilfred, who was roaming anyway, in a in a sort of front three, if you like, so four three three four five one, however you want to call it, is uh, 
he's four three three in position and four five one out of position pretty much. And it's it's interesting because a lot of people are talking about the shape and four four two and so on. But you know, week to week it can be different. And as we saw, different opponents cause different problems. You know, and we we saw with Brighton also how dominant they were against us in the game. Um, but Brighton's problem has been in both penalty boxes. They're not defending well enough, and they're not they're not potent enough at the other end. So, you know, we've got away with that. But let, let let me be clear. I mean, I'm I'm slightly perturbed by the sort of frustration of the of the fans in the sense that we're playing against a very 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 good side, the seventh best team in the Premier League for two seasons away from home who in the last three years have spent £335 million in the transfer market in a time in which Palace have spent £34 million by comparison. So I, I don't go into these games thinking we've got no chance, but I also don't expect to go there and think that we've got a divine right to win. And this is kind of a bit where I am at the moment in the sense that, OK, we've played Southampton at home, team that's probably going to be in our 10 to 15 range in the Premier League. We've edged those out. We won at Man United, who should be in the top six, but we've caught them early doors when they're a bit of a mess. Uh, we got edged out by Everton. Unluckily, who are we going to be in the top nine? Um, Chelsea probably be in the top four, top six, beat us comfortably. Um, Brighton are going to be in the 10 to 15 range. We drew. But we were sort of outplayed for, for, for the game, really, for the whole game, not even long periods. And then Fulham aside, I think we are we are better than. And we won there and Wolves are seventh best team in the period, better than us. And so I'm kind of not expecting anything beyond what we've done, really. We've taken points in the games we probably might have expected to. And maybe a bonus, you know, three at Old Trafford, for example. But the other ones, the teams are better than us and have got better squads and have, uh, you know, a, a, a difficult opponent. So I think there is a, a little bit in, in terms of the approach from the fan base that that we are um, better than we are. I think, and I th- we're not. Celsi, I think well, the, prob- the problem is is that, like, I, I agree with everything that you've said, and. I wouldn't be like looking at Wolves away and thinking, yeah, yeah, we've definitely got a yeah. chance there. But I think it's the same with the Chelsea result. It's the nature of the performances yes. where it's just so lacklustre and negative and like not very savvy. I just, I feel like we, we didn't adapt to the game that was in front of us. And, and I think that's the disappointing thing. Like if, if you go in and you're gritty and you offer something and you lose it 1-0 or 2-0, or, or or what, what, like we lost it 2-0, but, but, but you lose it in a way where you've shown up, it's a bit easier to swallow, I think, than just kind of looking at it and going, that was really boring and rubbish. Well, I think I think it's marginal in, in you know, it is a game of fine margins and I don't disagree that, Obviously, they had a very good spell, and I think we were a bit slow to adapt in that respect. Uh, and your criticism is valid, but on the other side of it, you know, Batshuayi is a an inch away from putting us in the lead rather than it than going behind. And then the second half, the foul on Wilfred in, in the box is a clear mm. penalty, yeah. and it's not even after a VAR check; it's not given. And you know, we scored. I think that's fifty-seven, fifty-eight minutes, something like that. 
perhaps for the last half an hour, we'd have been able to give it a real go. But I understand the frustration, but I also believe that these teams are better than us. And um, we are, you know, and have been treading water for quite a long time. Um, yeah, I'd forgotten about the Wilf penalty thing, and obviously the the Batshuayi one was was I I personally think it was offside, but it was it was tight. We have had a question, Jesse Jesse actually from Toftc.cpfc who says, "Can Batshuayi please stay onside?" Which I think is a reference to him. That's his third game in a row now that he's scored an offside goal. All of them, I would say, offside being the right call, but frustrating and very marginal decisions. And as Selzy says. You know, we're, we're what ninety seconds away from being one new up, and that that changes the whole game. If Palace go ahead like that, the game's completely different uh, from that regard. So, um, first question to you then, Jesse do you, do you think this is a good thing that Batshuayi scoring these offside goals in that he's in the right just in the right place, he's getting there, and these goals will come, or do they wind you up in the same way it seems to wind up um, a lot of Twitter? I've said just answer that, and we'll, we'll, we'll get on to the next one after that. This is what he's here for. Um... Batshuayi is there to be on the shoulder of the last man. He's he's our man in the box, and we've we've not had a natural fox in the box um, as a full time player for years since Murray, I would say, or even Dwight Gale, but you know less less at this level. Um, so he, this is what Batshuayi is there for. And if PVA, he's a, PVA is a left back. He's not a natural um, winger, so he's going to be offside here and there. And it was just a bit unlucky. It was, it was, they need, they, it wasn't a clear offside. They needed to have a good look at it. I felt for Luca in that moment because I felt he could have done with just putting the ball in the net and just mm. getting his season going. So, and then obviously we'll talk about what happened to him at the end, but yeah, it was just, the luck wasn't with us on that. <clears throat> but I, I mean, I said to you on the pod preview for the Wolves match last week, I was worried about Wolves because their quality is, is, you know, is there for all to see. They've had a great domestic and European season. They've now got a domestic season without European commitments. They are ready to go. And that's despite losing Hotter and Doherty, mm. who I looked it up, between them got about 11 goals and seven assists last year. So you'd have thought they're going to miss that. But they've done so well in what they brought in to fill the gaps for, for less money. Um, and ultimately, I think Santos smelt blood with us I think if you look at it we're still playing a midfielder at centre back Kiarty didn't have a great game it's his sort of half-hearted glancing header that puts it onto Podence for the first goal I, I sent a message in the WhatsApp chat during the game that he kept heading it Kiarty hasn't got the confidence to head it back to Gaeta so he keeps keeps doing these centre, mil, centre midfield type headers when he's centre back and they just end up in no man's land and Wolves had players just picking it up and pinging it left and right so the, he wasn't helping keep the pressure off. Um, Klein's first start in the Premier League since he played, played against us 18 months ago uh, for Bournemouth. Yeah. That's his first start since May 19. And PVA's first start of the season. So if you're Santo, looking at our patched up defence, he's going to take the game to us. Yes. And he did it. Yeah, He completely just overwhelmed us. Forced mistakes. Klein was air-kicking the ball for the second goal. Um, it was, you know, I think we just, and I, he, on top of that, I, Nori, he's only joined the club on deadline day. He's clearly got, this is your game. This is your, this is a great opportunity for you to, to welcome to the Premier League. Have a go at Nathaniel Klein. He hasn't started for 18 months. And that's, and then we we're on the receiving end of that. And yeah, things went for them. They put their chances away. So it was a terrible first half. 
having said that, I think we did start the second half really strong. I think we had a really good bit of pressure. Um, but then if you look at the match the day highlights, the first thing that happens after that, again, is Klein getting caught in no man's land in their half. Neto overlapping and swinging it to Dendonko, skies it. It could have been 3-0 at that point. So I, I feel like Santo just had the game plan uh, worked out and we, we just really couldn't rise to it. Well, all right. Then the other question I was thinking about, and I'm going to put it to all three of you, and it comes from what Selzy was saying earlier and uh, what Chloe was saying um, about the sort of the setup. D- do we think then that on this occasion Roy kind of got it wrong, playing, giving Klein a first start? Maybe, maybe you know, I don't know what Wardy's fitness is like, but maybe he had no no choice there. Uh, Mitchell, we know, is injured, of course, so PVA comes in there. Did he get the setup a bit wrong, or Chloe? Was it a case of that was the best squad available to him, and the players sort of let him down with quite a few individual errors that led that led to goals? Um, well, I think I, I come into the podcast with a very negative sort of like you know uh, annoyed at Palace feeling, but listening to Selzy and Jesse. I, I feel like they've uh, convinced me quite well that actually it was, you know, it, it was just a, a really good team with, I think, probably the best, one, probably top top four managers in the league, top four or five managers in the league. Um, and, and yeah, it, it, it's, it's been calculated to sort of like highlight those weaknesses that we do have. Having said that, I think it's part of a wider pattern that Roy is really struggles to sort of adapt. We spoke about it last time I was on the pod, that if something goes well one game, he does it for 10. And um, I would like to see sort of like a bit more adaptability and seeing that it, individual errors are happening a lot in the first 15 minutes. And that's not because our players aren't switched on or they're rubbish. Obviously something's happening, which is making them do those individual errors. So maybe he could be a bit more reactive and make a tweak inside the first 15, a tweak inside the first 20, but you'd never see that from Roy. Um, yeah, that, that's, that's all I have to say on that, that really, I think. <laughs> yeah, Stelzi, as I was, as I was actually talking there of the defenders, I actually hadn't quite appreciated how patched up our defence was. And actually, yeah. I think it probably was not out of choice, but out of necessity, wasn't it? If Mitchell's out, PVA's in, Ward, I'm guessing, is still injured, so... I mean, yeah. Ferguson's out as well, so it's going to have to be Klein. And Cahill oh. wasn't quite back yet, was he? I don't no. think so. Kiato's in there. So it's not ideal at all, is it? But as you, when you were saying earlier, Celsius, then when a Schlucky came in, we had a better balance to us. So obviously hindsight, you know, helps us in these occasions. But did Roy get it wrong or was it literally a case of chucking who's available and sort of see what happens? I think games are, you know... I often used to say to to our lads in you know under eighteen level for those years is that one of the key things in games is to recognise when you're in charge on the field, as in when you're in the ascendancy, and absolutely make it stick because it's guaranteed they won't go on for a long time generally because you know the manager or coach on the other side is going to do things and change things to to nullify some of your threats so. And in fairness, Roy did, but Wolves in that period of their in the ascendancy, they they got the two goals mm-hmm. and made it stick, you know. And that's 
and and in the Premier League, I think it's or well, I don't even know if it's just applied to the Premier League. I think the stat is something like the team that scores the first goal, eighty-five percent of the time doesn't lose a game of football. So it's uh, you know <laughs> really? it's it's yeah, I think it's as big as that. So first goal is very important, and obviously Batshuayi was close to doing that for us, and it's marginal. And Jesse was talking about there, you know, you said, is it frustrating? It is in a sense, but I've got to keep, take my hat off to him. That and the finish against Brighton, they were brilliant finishes yeah. that, you know, he took very well. So that is an encouraging sign. And I mean, against Wolves, we've had more possession and all that sort of thing. So I don't think we were sort of completely dominated in the game over the 90 minutes. But, you know, we've got to accept that I think we are a little bit short in a couple of areas. Um and, you know, when you're talking about PVA, for instance, and Tyrick Mitchell, I think Tyrick may be slightly more reliable defensively. Yeah. But given the sort of nature of our setup out of possession, I quite like the idea of Klein and um, and uh, Patrick Van Arnholt just to give us that extra bit of thrust because both of them are willing to get in the last third of the pitch and, and do stuff offensively, which makes us a a better outfit and link-up play with the wide players, which I think, in all fairness, to Wardy and Tyrick Mitchell isn't something they really do. Neither of them yeah. get forward and deliver balls. So I think, you know, the two things, you, you have to sort of, you know, balance them off a bit and accept that, you know, what you're going to gain on the swings, you might lose on the roundabouts a little bit, you know, in that sense. Um, That's a new one. But, uh, well, I just, uh, I, I, I've got to say to you, I don't, I don't think there's a massive amount wrong with us, but I do think we are, you know, one of the things I think we lack and we have lacked for a while is a is a forward player with real raw, direct pace in the sense of that they're quick enough, don't get me wrong, the boys that we have, but since Yannick Bellassi's gone, you know, one thing he was very good at is when you had the counter-attack, he could get the ball 70 yards up the pitch at breakneck speed. Yeah. And I don't think we have that quite that same thrust. We've got lots of players who are very decent, but but they're, 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 let's say the Ezzies and the Wilves are, are trickier rather than direct as such in their sort of um, approach. So I think, I do think that's a bit of a miss in the, in the mix for us at the minute. But... You know, it was nice to see three attacking subs on the bench for once, and it's the best it's looked for a while. You know, at least we had the options to bring in Ben Teki, Ezzy, and um, are you on? So it wasn't a, it wasn't as if we weren't sort of having a go at trying to get back in the game. But I think we've, as I said before a couple of weeks ago, I think we're just struggling a little bit with some of the combinations that haven't quite clicked yet and, and, and what is going to be the best balanced uh, way of doing things. But, it, 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 you know, I'm not too disappointed with where we are so far, you know, given the fact we went into some Somebody tweeted me after the game and said, you know, how angry and annoyed they were and how I was too kind to Roy and so on. And they were fed up with us rolling over and getting our belly tickled every week. Well, we... We did actually, prior to Friday, had our best start ever in the Premier League points per game. So it's hardly crisis stuff, you know, in that respect. But I do feel 
there really is this kind of underlying negativity. Every time we lose a game, everyone's doom and gloom. But I, I don't know what they're expecting because I would have said to you up to three years ago, you know, we're moving forward, 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 forward. And I think everyone felt that and we were on the rise. But actually the last few seasons, we haven't invested. We've stagnated. And a lot of clubs like Wolves have been promoted and the and so on have actually gone past us in that respect. And yeah. that, I think, is something that people are missing. They're kind of thinking that, oh, you know, we've been in the league eight years. We should be better than these. Perhaps we should, but we're not because... They've invested at a level with foreign ownership that that we haven't been able to. All right, uh, same question to number three. Uh, <laughs> although I'm not necessarily sure I can remember what the question is, Jesse. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember the question either. <laughs> it was something about uh, Roy and Roy getting it wrong, or players making individual errors, or if you'd like to pick up on any of the points that the guys have said, you know, you can just. Do that instead. Or if you'd like me to wrap up part one, I can wrap up part one. It's well, completely no, up to you. I would just add to what I was ranting about earlier in terms of both of our fullbacks aren't, I don't know what you would call it, but they're not kind of in the groove yet, are they, of the season? So PVA's first start and Klein's first, um, well, you know. Second one. Didn't he play yeah. Fulham the week before? Didn't yeah, he sorry, start? yeah. So, you know, they're not, they're not in the groove of the season. They're, they're, no. they, yeah. I, mean, I think Sanso pinpointed them both. Um, but we're, told we're just a bit unlucky that both fullbacks um, aren't up to speed, and I think that was. Uh, I don't think there were any, any alternatives, so that's, mm-hmm. there's that. Um, I don't know why Roy doesn't fancy Kelly yet, because you know we're still we've still got Kiate. Okay, okay, so he's consistently playing there, but it's not his position. It is Kelly's position, and Kelly can play right back as well. So. Uh, I don't know why Kelly's deemed to be not worthy of a start yet this season when there's clearly been some holes in defence. Um, but I also had a, a bit of a flashback to in when we played in Project Restart in the summer. We lost 2 0 at Molyneux then, and both goals came from a kind of fullback position then as well. When Mitchell, remember Mitchell got a bit exposed by Traore, and we mm. obviously for, forgave yeah. him that because he was just getting his first rubber, uh, run in the team. But it just feels like Wolves went for our went for us, us to get in behind because it's worked for them before and it, it worked again. But as I say, I, I, we're just a bit unlucky that they were going that way and both our fullbacks were, you know, not up to speed. So that's, that's, and then we got found out very quickly in the game and it was, it was curtains for us, unfortunately. Mike okay. Kelly, I don't know. Sorry, sorry, Clive. I, I don't know what Kelly's fitness is like at the moment, but um... no, I think it's okay, JD. I think it's okay. You know, purely selection. I mean, we've got six centre halves essentially, if Cuyate is included. So there are, you know, that is the one area of the squad where we have absolutely huge competition. Go on, Clive. Just it's a shame that they're not all fit at the same time uh, yeah. at, at any point. But but I think I think um, just to pick up on Selzy's earlier point. Um, to, like I think one of the reasons we don't counter-attack so effectively now is because teams have worked us out and they just sit off us. And I think that's probably what happened in the, the second half. Like, Wolves allowed us to, to, to come on to them and um, probably accepted the probability that we wouldn't be able to break them down because that's not our strong suit at all. We're not very good at penetrating, um, like, through the middle. Um or, or sort of between the lines, we, we just kind of knock it around in front of teams. 
Yeah, I mean, we've you know historically been at our best when we've been hitting teams on the counter, especially away from home. And it doesn't feel like it's happened a lot recently. Um, listen, let's take a break. Uh, we will talk about the Luca Red in a bit. Of course, we have had questions about it. Um, but before we do that in part two, we are going to discuss an article from this week's supporters, The Athletic. My brother-in-law died suddenly, and now my sister and her kids have to sell their home. That's why I told my husband we could not put off getting life insurance any longer. An agent offered us a 10-year, $500,000 policy for nearly $50 a month. Then we called SelectQuote. SelectQuote found us identical coverage for only $19 a month, a savings of $369 a year. Whether you need a $500,000 policy or a $5 million policy, Select Quote could save you more than 50% on term life insurance. For your free quote, go to SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote.com. That's SelectQuote.com. Select Quote. We shop, you save. Full details on example policies at SelectQuote.com slash commercials. Welcome back to the Five Year Plan podcast. Uh, this week sponsored by The Athletic. And I don't need to tell you that there are world-class team of writers covering every club, including the best coverage of Crystal Palace. So a subscription-based website and app, completely ad-free, no ads, no pop-ups, just brilliant articles. Welcome to the new home of football writing. Uh, and if you visit theathletic.co.uk forward slash FYP, you can start a subscription for just £1 a month uh, for the next six months, which is decent value indeed. Um, so this week's article uh, by Matt Wisdom is called, and we were talking about fullbacks a minute ago, uh, Nathaniel Klein versus Joel Ward. That's literally what it's called. That is the headline. Um, and Matt talks about uh, Kleine returning, obviously, on a short-term deal and... Uh, what the future looks like, I guess, um, at right back. And I'm going to read you a little paragraph from it now. Ward's career may not have hit the heights anticipated, but it speaks to his professionalism, dedication and overall ability that he spent so long as an established defender in the top flight and demonstrated his capability at the highest level. Before a host of injury problems, Klein played an important role in his first two seasons at Liverpool after joining from Southampton for £12.5 million in 2015. Those 14 England appearances were not unexpected from anyone who had watched him come through the ranks at Selhurst Park. As such, the pressure on Ward to eclipse or at least match Klein's ability was perhaps just as great. If injury had prevented Klein from fulfilling his, his potential in its entirety, notwithstanding that he has enjoyed an exceptional career, then Ward has progressed, progressed much in the same way that Palace have as a club through their seven seasons in the Premier League and arguably has reached the peak of his career in the way that would have been expected of him. Um, just as I'm reading that bit there, Selzy, about uh, those that have come through the ranks uh, or people that watched him come through the ranks at Selhurst, I guess you would have been around the time possibly when Kleine was breaking through. Yeah, no, he played in the youth team for the time I was there. And um, he had a... Um, I don't know if I've said this before, actually. He had the remarkable attribute of being able to do the same thing at whatever level he played. And generally with a lot of players, they can do it at this level, this level, this level, but then something is too far for them. But Kleine was able at first team level to perform exactly in the way that um, that uh, he did at youth team level. There was no difference. He, he fitted in straight away. And I was 
absolutely sure that he was destined for great things, really. And I've always been a huge fan. I have to say, I think he's he's absolutely excellent. I mean, I don't know whether Nathaniel Klein we've got back. I was, I was first of all, I'll say I was pleased that we re-signed him. I thought it was a good move. And if he's anything like the Nathaniel Klein we had before, then he's a very, very good player and easily Premier League quality. The question is, I saw in that article that Matt Woosnam, I think, wrote it, and he sort of implied, I think, perhaps that that he'd lost his pace and his and his edge a little bit, Kleine, but I'm not sure that's fair at this point and probably a little bit early to judge that. I mean, I, I'm, as I said in the first part, I think his ability to get forward would be a, a real plus for us at the minute in terms of if we've got a full fit and firing Nathaniel Klein. And, you know, defensively, he was always able, if ever he was in trouble, his pace would always get him out of trouble and uh, and he'd be able to defend. I mean, he's, he was a terrific player and I I still hope that, that Nathaniel Klein is there. And I, I think some of the criticism he's had after the first couple of games, a little bit unjust, really. You know, I think people are putting too much on him for for um the first two games and I I think he's uh I think he could be a real good asset for us because with Ferguson's injury and there's no sign of him coming back anytime soon and you know that's a little bit of a concern because we've obviously gonna have to pay several million at a tribunal for a player that we don't actually know when we're gonna to get to see at the moment. So as it stands, I I hope that Kleine sort of kicks on I'm a big Wardy fan in the respect of what he's done and he's a sort of real steady Eddie and it's been a bit of a stalwart for us. But we need two very good players to compete in every position. And I think, you know, they're both very decent and you're not unhappy in that respect. And I think, you know, Kleine probably for me as an offensive player has got a bit more. So, you know, there are there are differences on saying that. Ward is probably more likely to go and pop up with a goal here and there as he does, you know. So there are, as I said, sort of pros and cons with all. But I think, you know, it was an area last year we were clearly very exposed in with only Wardy uh, as our out-and-out right-back. And when we had to play Martin Kelly there, it didn't particularly work uh, because, again, he really is uncomfortable offensively playing as a a right-back and can do it for a couple of games. But... I'm 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 pleased we've got Kleine back and I'm I want to give him the chance and time and hope that we've got the still the same player with the same qualities. Yeah, um Jesse, I'm I'm realizing actually that uh re-signing Klein reminds me of a FIFA twenty fifteen save game that I was playing with my mate Callum where we signed <laughs> Klein, we signed Ruben Loftus Cheek and we signed Max Meyer. Uh, and it's really mirroring that save game. We did also sign Shavi and I'm starting to think that one probably <laughs> won't happen um but i've just realized as i was just talking there that the uh i think the theme to matt's article is obviously that that uh ward is the player that replaced klein back in 2012 and now it looks like klein might be the player that's going to replace ward in 2020 i think it's very rare for a player to be replaced by the player that he replaced in modern football these days um but what are your thoughts on klein coming back were you were you as happy to see him back were you sort of romanticized by his return and and what are your thoughts on where the future holds for our right back position um, 
I, I think when I first heard he was training with us, I didn't really think it would lead to a move, but and probably because Ferguson had just signed shortly beforehand. But there was a reason why Klein was training with us. It was clear there was clearly concerns about Ferguson being ready in any uh, any way or shape or form. So I was quite surprised at the f- initial prospect because he, he was completely anonymous last year. He didn't play at all, did he? So mm-hmm. you know he wasn't. He just came from nowhere. Just popped up out of out of the ether. So he was massively an unknown quantity, um, maybe a little bit like Gary Cahill was in that sense. He hardly played the year before he joined us. So it just felt, you know, a little bit like what we do, which is pick up unfashionable players and give them a, a chance to shine. So it's it's what we do, isn't it? I think with someone like Klein, though, what's he done? He's really, he's won the European Cup, hasn't he? He's come back. With a with a trophy, he's, him and Cahill, the only ones who've you've got that. Um, yeah. So you know he's bringing a great load of experience to us, um, and we didn't want him to leave. When he left at the time, we always thought he'd go on to be an England player. Uh, we I think at the time we felt he could do better than Southampton, and we, yeah. we just it felt like he, he could go somewhere a bit higher than that. So he's always been in, held in high regard, and um, yeah, I think as I said, I think my only criticism of, of him in the game against Wolves was was that. Um, he was just exposed. And I think I, I put that down to the vision of Santo r- rather than any necessary, uh, cri- you know, overdue criticism of Klein. He's still settling in, um, and likewise as we've as we've already talked about with PVA. So nothing major to read into that. It's we were just unlucky that we were caught on the hop a little bit. Um, but yeah, I think as the season goes on, he'll prove to be an asset. Um. Are you a Klein fan, Chloe? I mean, I, I want to put it out there. I'm a massive Joel Ward fan. I think he's just an absolute Palace legend. But I'm looking at Klein on Wikipedia. He's 29. So, you know, still someone's dog is a Klein fan. So still, um, you know. That was Arnold. Arnold's clearly a Kleine fan. There we go. Um, you know, still in his prime. And as Matt says in the article, you know, some big injuries in there that are obviously going to change the way a player plays, going to change a lot of things. But what are your thoughts on on Kleine coming back and does he have a long-term role here um it's difficult to say in terms of a long-term role I'm worried that we've signed another defensive sick note um is my only concern <laughs> um you know it's the palace way but I, yeah. I think that um I think that just as a, a as a little sort of side note to what the boys have already been saying he he knows he knows what the palace spirit is and and he can really fit into that that attitude and um you know that 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 mold that we we've already got because he's already done it and um but with that he's now got this added experience and as you say like he's won a european cup he, he's done it he's done everything that you would sort of want to do in a career really um i, I had another point let me just try and think of it um no i've lost it but i'll, I'll tell you <laughs> when it comes back to me um, <laughs> this the palace way it was probably going to be the best point of the whole podcast but we'll never know will we <laughs> just blurt it out later on even if we're not talking about Klein, just say it and I'll we'll just, just i'll just bark it like selsey's dog <laughs> <laughs> um, we'll roll with it to, to be fair jim I, i'm i'm just i mean the one caveat i'd put in i'm sort of of uh, of been gushing about Kleine really, I mean, he had you know a long injury. Where he's had a year out of the game, which you don't know 
you know, often when that happens, a player takes another year to get back to where he was if he mm. if he's able to. And, you know, the one concern, I suppose, or negative, you might say, was I was really surprised when Jurgen Klopp loaned him to Bournemouth the season before when he's competing to win the league. And, you know, I think they ended up playing James Milner at right back yeah. instead, yeah. which I thought was very odd, you know, at the time. And I couldn't understand it. But obviously, I don't know whether that's, a, a, you know, whether there's more to it than that and a... You know, perhaps the personalities don't fit, or he doesn't doesn't see him in that way. But I, I, I kind of I was surprised that that Klopp was prepared to 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 lose him as cover or competition for Trent Alexander Arnold and and go with Milner playing there. Um, and so it, it, it really is early days, I think, where Klein is concerned. But as I said to you before, if he's anything like the Nathaniel Klein, I know. I'm very, very happy to have him. Which leads on to my remembered point. Go on, I've, I've got, got you back now. And Look at that. I've just segued you in. The thing is, like, it's it's like a player that's got potential but then gets a career-ruining injury. It's probably better to... I don't know what I'm trying to say. Basically, it was probably going to be better for me not to remember this point because it's not that good. But um, <laughs> I think I remember when he was... When he was first with us, he stayed like one or two seasons longer to get first team experience. And then I think he probably went with Southampton because he wanted to play every game rather than be fighting to get into a team that was potentially too, too big for him. So I just think he's got a great attitude and like, it seems really level-headed and and able to, to did you know, come back from that. Chloe, that he was a a centre forward when we first got him age 14, Kleinick. So he, he, and, uh, he's done the inverse of a Danny Butterfield. Yeah, Ga- yeah, Gary. Uh, yeah, he did the same. Yeah, Gary turned him into a right back, and I don't think it's a secret. But Kleine's mum wasn't too pleased about Gary's conversion <laughs> into a right back. I think I told you this story a few years ago on the pod. But when he played for England at Wembley, I was in the players' lounge a bit afterwards. I think with a couple of the goalkeepers that I dealt with, and uh, Kleine came over with his mum, and I did say. Maybe Gal didn't make such a bad shout after all. <laughs> 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 we seem to have quite a history of uh, turning turning attacking players into right backs. Yeah, AWB. Yeah, yeah. The strange, the strangest thing about him, JD AWB, is you would expect a wide player that's turned into a fullback to be better offensively and weaker defensively. Very but good. he's actually he's the, the other reverse. Way yeah. yeah, and I don't. Un- that is something I do not understand, and I can't can't get my head around. Um, well, look, just last word on Klein. It's an interesting point Klein made about the attitude. It does feel a little bit like a sort of family member has come home. And I rem- you remember when they first put the uh, welcome to pr- uh, South London and proud posters up mm-hmm. around Selhurst? Well, it was his generation. It was him and Johnny Williams and Wilf and. You know, he was one of the first players that we really kind of went big on the South London thing. So he's got a an important part <laughs> in the history of this, this football club. Uh, so it is good to see him back. But I would like to just sort of end this part by just, again, doing a big uh, shout out to Joel Ward. Because I think a lot of us are assuming maybe that, you know, Klein is now in. And, and I think people have been assuming Wardy would be on his way out for a long time. And he's still uh-huh. here. And I've got, a, I've got a prediction, like, a bit like me in this podcast. And I got a prediction that... You know, at some point, Kleine will 
get injured or lose form and, and Ward will come in and he'll do a job for us again because he never lets us down so I just think whatever happens with Wardy and it'll yeah, probably be agreed. for the next 10 years but he just <laughs> he deserves um, he I don't deserves think it's love. that clear JD I don't think it's like that I don't think it's that clear and you know Wardy anybody you know when he's criticised I sort of hey. my, my, my first response is always the same we've had Way too much value out of this bloke already. We signed him for 400 grand. He's now playing in his eighth season in the Premier League, having played in the season that got us promoted. I mean, pound for pound, he's got to be one of the greatest signings in the history of the football club, surely. I I agree. I totally agree. I totally Mm. agree. Um, Mm. Anyway, look, uh, let's wrap up part two. Uh, You can read that article about uh, Kleine and Wardy by Matt. And plenty more at The Athletic. And if you visit theathletic.co.uk forward slash FYP, you can start a subscription for just £1 a month, which is almost as good value as Wardy signing for Palace in 2012. Um, (laughs) After the break, questions. When it comes to business and meeting travel in Orlando, it's never business as usual. Sure, I could go on for days about all the incredible places to hold your meeting or the innovative industries that will make you feel right at home. But Dr. Michael Edwards of Ocean Insights said it best. Orlando is as much a business capital as an entertainment one. And when work wraps up for the day, the evening is just getting started. I'd love to tell you about all the 46 Michelin-rated restaurants or the array of outstanding dishes that will have you coming back again and again. But executive chef Guillaume Rabin of Lake Nona Wave Hotel can sum it up better than me. Orlando has a world of artisans, so you can try incredible cuisines from across the globe. It's so true, and there's so much more. So dive in and see what's happening in Orlando, where the possibilities for business travel are unbelievably real. Learn more at orlandoforbusiness.com. Welcome back to the Five Plan Podcast. Way! Uh, it's pod 356, and it's questions from our listeners. Uh, we didn't talk about Luca's red card, Chloe, in part one, uh, because the chat was just flowing too good. Uh, so I've moved it into part three, and a question here comes from Dave Manley, uh, one of our patrons, and he says, um, given that Brighton had a worse challenge ignored this weekend in the game against Spurs, was pretty bad. Uh, should we feel hard done by uh, over Luca's red card? Well, it's difficult to say because I don't think two wrongs make right. Because I personally think it was reckless play, and I put in the WhatsApp chat, or I, it might not have been in the FOP one, but I said in a WhatsApp chat somewhere that um, <laughs> that I think that Luca's had a red card a long time coming, and I'm surprised that. I mean, there was one in the FA Cup last season, mm, but. Um, but he just goes in in like he's got a really reckless manner in the way that he goes into a tackle, and I don't know how he gets away with it. And I think it might be because he's like fairly likable and quite um, like unassuming. Like he's not a big shouter, and I think he yeah. can go sort of under the radar. But he always leaves his leg in or or, or goes in with his studs up and stuff. So uh, hope, hopefully it will teach him a lesson. It will calm him down. Um, I think. I think. It's one of those where a different ref may have given a yellow card, but I don't think we can complain. And I don't think you can look at another another wrong decision around the Premier League and go, 
oh, that, that they had a wrong decision, so we should have had a wrong decision too. I don't think that's a, a good comparison to make. Yeah, even though the Brighton one was horrendous, oh, yeah. but you're, you're yeah, right. It, was, it, it clearly was, but it, that has no impact upon the game that we've been we've played in. Do you know what I mean? No, game by game, no, exactly. Yeah. And, I mean, to be fair, Jesse, if you're a gambling man... Um, Money on a Luca yellow most games is is basically <laughs> printing money because he seems to pick up a yellow every game and then somehow seem to avoid the suspensions that come along with it. And what were your thoughts on it? Because he did get the ball, but it's sort of the follow through as as um, Chloe was saying with the studs up. So what I mean for you was it was it a, red, a lot of people were really outraged by it on social media. I I'm still not sure. What were you thinking? Yeah, I mean, did you see the Solly March? Found that wasn't because they somehow thought he did connect with the ball. I still don't think he, d- he really did. So I think he, he, although Luca got a very clear connection to the on the ball, it, I think the the dangerous play overshadowed that, and that was kind of what the ref couldn't ignore. When you know when they're doing the slow mo replays with Art, you get a, you kind of get a feel now for what the ref mm. will and won't let go. Uh, although you know there's always a surprise with Var. Um, it just—you could just see that this wasn't going to go our way. It was a typical end to a um, lacklustre game. But you know, no, no, no thanks to Dan with his suicide ball because it, mm. it, it really—you know—put Luke in a position where he had to commit. So that, that, it was just one thing led to the other, right? So, and I think I think when that happens, it forces the hand because when there's a short part and someone's having to overstretch to get it before they've even overstretched the referees going i'm gonna have a look at this because because this is going to be dangerous play so it's it's just naivety essentially but i do i do think there is sort of like the guy the point that the guy made in terms of the the brighton foul and stuff i think quite a lot of the the laws are in flux at the moment in terms of their changing like the handball rule for example is one of them so I think that's why we're seeing inconsistency across the board is because refs are trying to sort of like work out the limits of of how these new laws kind of work and and I think um I think that's probably the same with serious foul play at the moment it does yeah. seem like ref refs different refs are reading from different rule books at the moment like they've been given sort of different rules before games Selzy, the the Dan thing actually it's a really good point because I mean, as someone that's involved in football, you'll know if you're a player and there's a chance to make a tackle and you don't make that tackle, no matter how uh, slim the chances of getting the ball, you will get pelters from your teammates massively. So Luca was put in a, in a sort of no-win situation because if he doesn't go for it, as captain especially, he's getting shouted at. And if he does go for it, there's a chance he's going to obviously give away a foul and get sent off. So sort of lose-lose situation for Luca, really, that sort of situation. Yeah, I, 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 while Jesse and Chloe were talking, I was just thinking he's a little bit unlucky here, do you know? Because the term the term that really is the most applicable for the incident is Luca took one for the team, I think, is probably <laughs> what he did. Do you know, he 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 was forced into making the challenge by a poor pass. And I would imagine that the first thing Scott Dan might have done in the dressing room after the game is said, sorry you're gonna miss the next three matches, Luca, that one was on me really. But I I I'm slightly different um, to you all in the fact that I thought he was a little bit unlucky in the sense that he's played the ball, but it's a very wet pitch and his momentum as he's had to come across and slide has, has then sort of caused him to follow through slightly. But I didn't think it was so bad. I can see why he was sent off. 
but I think we're going to appeal that or may have appealed it already. Mm, so yeah. I'll be interested to see what the outcome is. But I can sort of see it both ways. I can understand it, but I don't think I don't think there was any intent on Lucas' part, let's put it that way. And I didn't feel um you know that he, he I, I thought he was just he was unlucky all round, I think. He's the wet pitch and his momentum took him through on the follow-through, and it was a challenge he shouldn't have had to make in the first place. But he did have to make it because otherwise they're running on the counter and probably going to kill the game. Um, I've just Googled, actually, because appeals tend to be sort of a Tuesday or a Wednesday, and uh, in typical FIP fashion, I know what happened, we'll finish this podcast, the appeal will get announced, and then we'll go out on the pod and be out of date. But I, don't, I, have Googled I don't know 100%, but I think they were talking about it for sure. Well, the Palace have appealed it, uh, so um, we, we, we will see We will see what happens. Um, no doubt mm. that will happen as I'm editing this podcast. <laughs> um, Chloe, on the subject of Luca, obviously it's three games out now, uh, and Jamie Penniston Raja has said, who partners Gyro in the middle? Who would have thought that would be a question we'd be asking six games in, which yeah. is a, a fair point. Um, <laughs> and a few, a few other people have sort of said that Luca's not quite cutting it for them at the moment. So what in, for the next three games, who partners him? And then in general for you, if they're all available, who partners Gyro? Oh, it's really difficult to say. I would probably go um, James MacArthur um, just for his sort of like harrow- uh, harrowing qualities. His harrying qualities is what I meant <laughs> <Harrowing>. to say. <laughs> the, the harrowing, harrowing quality. I think, um, I think we're recording on US election night and maybe I'm sort of, I've internalised that worry. Um, <laughs> oh, God, we are, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I I don't really mind if I'm honest. I just think not Luca because he's so he slows the game down so much, and um, it, you know he's got some decent qualities. But I don't think his free like his direct free kicks are good, but his corners aren't all that. Um, so I probably like in the long run. I, I also think I play PVA instead of Tyrick because I want him on set pieces, and then Jack, James MacArthur just sort of running all over the pitch, just you know, sort of being a bit bawdy and Scottish and getting in everyone's way. <laughs> and harrowing. And, and terribly harrowing. <laughs> <laughs> um, obviously, Jesse, we've talked about Gyro on, on previous pods. And, and I mean, he's a player that unites Palace fans. Everyone wants to see him do well. He's doing really well. It's great to see him in the team. And, and as Jamie says, he has weirdly become first choice in centre midfield, which I don't think anyone was expecting. Um, but on Luca, Jesse, are, are you a Luca fan are you? Would you like to see him come back in after three games? Are you a Maca fan? How do you stand with our sort of mid central midfield balance? I'm a bit bored of the, uh, the sort of Luca bashing and even the MacArthur bashing that seems to happen when heads start dropping amongst fans. Um, you know, I think they've always they've, they've got more often than not they've over delivered on their sort of perceived ability. Um, and I always think Luca was such a great impact when he first came in, so that stayed with me. Um, I think he's he always just took control under under the Allardyce's team and just helps to stay up. Um, so I've always had him in good favour. Obviously, that season where he just buried so many penalties and scored some great goals from range, um, that that sticks out. You know, I've, I've always given benefit the doubt for. Um, maybe maybe sometimes a little bit blindly, but I, I do like him. I think MacArthur is he's just such a solid asset. He's always been, um, you know, he's always capable of just putting in a really great performance box to box and just 
he, he if anything he gets he runs out of steam because he's reached you know mm-hmm. a little bit of a mature age in his in his career. But he's I, I like them both, and I, I think MacArthur will naturally step in. He's had a good little rest, which will benefit him as well. So I think he'll be he's ready to come in, and we're going to need it against Leeds because they are. 100 miles an hour. So, um, mm. yeah, I'm, I'm sort of reluctant to say, to talk about them too badly because I think that more often than not, they've over-delivered on what we'd expect them to do. And clearly, if we still had Kabai, they'd probably, probably, they'd probably become under a little less scrutiny. Indeed. Mm. Well, yes. Glass to hear you talking so fairly <laughs> about Luca. Luca gets too much of a bashing, as you said, you know. And at the moment, he's become a bit of a whipping boy. Where Gyro, on the other hand, has obviously become very popular and has has done very well. But Gyro wasn't good at Wolves on Friday night, but nobody's criticised him and Luca's taken quite a lot of flack. Do you know what I mean? Which he certainly didn't outperform Luca particularly in the game, I don't think. Not 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 on my naked eye anyway. I don't know about statistically, but Luca, James MacArthur, both of those have been remarkable signings. James MacArthur, what we're missing from him, I think, at the moment, is is goals, really, because most seasons he would pop up with a half a dozen decent goals, you know, and, and get us points. But that's not really been part of his game in the last sort of year or so. I don't think he's... I don't think he's did he score last season, Macca, in a game or not? Maybe Norwich at home or something, did he? I think from something like that. He was guilty of some pretty bad finishing, wasn't he? I think he had a couple think of yeah. goals. I mean, and he's Don't usually he a sort of reliable yeah. finisher. Yeah. So we, we've missed that. I mean, in fairness, probably if you if you ask me on on out and out performances so far this season, McCarthy and Gyro have probably done the best out of the the four of them. But like Jesse, I'm a big fan of the other two as well. So I don't think it's uh I don't think it's a you know a bad four that we've got in there that, that we can utilise, I think. And obviously you've got Czech potentially you could also push into midfield. And I wonder whether he although he's done well at centre half, I think perhaps his presence in midfield might be missed a little bit as well. I think he's limited with the ball check, but but as a when the other team have got the ball, he's very, very effective. Do you think? Do you think? Do you oh, think sorry, do you think that because Roy started playing Kiate at centre back in pre-season and decided to run with it until he had a Cahill Tompkins um, kind of pair completely fit, he sort of carried on with it, and that's opened the door for Gyro to mm. be in midfield. Yeah, I mean Gyro, I. I I felt would probably end up there from his very early time at Palace because that period of centre-half at the beginning, I thought, you know what, you actually look like a player to me. It was a bit sort of Valerian Ishmael-esque in the sense that there's a player there that's good on the ball, technical, but didn't look like he could handle the physicality of the Premier League playing as a centre-half. But I did think as a holding midfield player, he could end up doing okay. And I think... You know, technically, he's very good. He's still young as well. You know, there's no, you know, there's there's no um, sort of. <laughs> the, we think the average age of a Premier League debutant is 23, I think these days. And I think what is he 24 now, Gyro? So if you think he's had a a bit of a period of, of you know growing into being a Premier League player, and 
again, it's a big difference. You're playing for Ajax in a much weaker league where you have possession most of the time and are probably spending most of his time on the ball playing clever passes and, and picking things up. Where at Palace, he's probably had to do a lot more work out of possession because we're not Ajax in the Premier League by any any means, are we? So it's, um, I think it, you know, it, it's different for him. And I, I think he's started to adapt really, really well. And I think, I said before, I think there's a lot of credit on both sides there because Gyro's kind of got it and the penny's dropped and he's done great. And, and Roy, who's been criticised a lot of the time, where I've read one or two people saying, we've had this bloke for three years and he hasn't played him. Well, it might also be right that it's taken him three years to get to where he needs to get to. And fair play to Roy for sort of being open-minded enough to let him get into his plans, if you like. Because I've got to tell you, from knowing lots of football managers and dealing with them, once they tend to write someone off, they rarely go back on their on their word. And Roy's never written him off, mm. off and always given him that chance. So... Fair play to both of them, really. Well, he nearly left. He nearly left at one point, I think, didn't he? So, you know, yeah. fair play to Jairo for sticking around and um, and and giving it a go. But Chloe, just on Luca, mm. and as one of the guys there was saying, when he first joined us, obviously in January 2017, had such an immediate impact and was such mm. a fantastic player for us. Uh, you know, really helped with that survival uh, towards the end of the season. Then had that season where he banged in loads of penalties. Mm. Do you think because he started so so high and set the standard so high that even if he now just have has average games, people still remember those fantastic first few seasons, and that he's never quite going to match up to that. Even if maybe now we're just seeing the sort of regular average Luka Milivojevic, but the bar is too high. That could be the case, yeah. Or it could be that we've changed the way that we play, and um, I don't know, like. Are we picking up less penalties, I think? Because we're in the box less, maybe. Or um, I think the point about Kabai not being there as well, I think Kabai did a lot of the expansive creative stuff and it just yeah. relied on Luca to sort of be quite solid and boss everyone around and um, be that real captain's presence in the middle, just clearing up mess and stuff. And so, so perhaps we're asking him to do a little bit more... Um, create creative stuff and stuff that he's not necessarily equipped to do and, and perhaps that is because 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 he he came in and was so brilliant we we we're, we're now asking too much of him yeah yeah so to conclude i think yes is the answer to your question. <laughs> Thank you. uh, i think jd also that i think if you remember when sam allardyce was in charge towards the end of that season a lot of people were beginning to write James MacArthur off and said he was knackered and he'd gone and all that sort of thing. And he came roaring back, didn't he? So I wouldn't um I wouldn't put it past Luca at this stage to uh to still show everyone what he's got. And uh, you know, I I I certainly you know, he's somebody that I hold in a very high regard and and generally I would always see as one of my first names on the team sheet. But that's it, you know, as Chloe said, it's. I think part of the problem at the moment with us in the forward areas and perhaps in midfield is just trying to find that perfect balance and combination to get the everybody complementing each other and getting us where we need to get to. Really, yeah, absolutely. Um, although that does feel like something we've been a balance we've been trying to get for a long time, but. Uh... 
we will see and we we all love seeing a player coming back and uh, reclaiming past glory so all it'll take is a few penalties hopefully for Luca and he'll be back there um I'm going to end this part of questions though we haven't answered many with a positive one are you ready for a positive question slash statement <laughs> How many, how many positive ones were there? It's the, only one. <laughs> it's the only one. But it's from a pod regular. It's from okay. a pod regular, Mr. PC Wires, who we're always, always happy to hear from. He says, well, I, for one, am delighted that we did not concede in the last minute like we'd done in the previous two games. That's a positive, right? Question mark. <laughs> Got to be a positive, Selzy, surely. Um. I, I'm, I wasn't so negative about the game on Friday as many, but, you know, this again is, is all around the expectancy for me. And it's, and I think our fans have, you know, that I think the squad is better than it was last year, purely because we've actually got 25 players now, which is a start, <laughs> which is something we didn't manage. And we were so thin on the ground, as I said earlier, having those attacking options. Let's not let's not kind of go overboard here. You know, in the summer we brought in a free transfer right back who half the fans are already saying he's past his best and, and can't do it and coming back from injury. We've signed a, a striker on loan from Chelsea who was a good goal scorer for us in a, a previous spell, but that was obviously a couple of years ago and and he's not played regularly much in that time since. Um, Ezzy, who people sort of described as a a star signing, you know, for me, I'm really pleased with him and I like him and I think there's something there. But he still needs to adapt to playing in the Premier League. We signed a promising player from the Championship who's got to make the next step up. This doesn't sort of, uh, you know, so these players that we've brought in and then the sort of Ferguson, obviously, we haven't seen at all. And then, you know, you've got the fact that, you know, you've got the likes of Aston Villa that are buying, spending £100 million in the transfer market that, you know, were teams that were below us last year and so on. So I don't, you know, and a caveat on top of that is the the money for the, that we received for Alexander Serlot. Yes, miracles do happen, people. And, uh, you know, to walk away from that deal with... Twelve million pounds or whatever we got from it at the, at the end was pretty incredible, um, given his contribution in in his time at the club, and that pretty much paid for the bulk of the transfer of uh, Ezzy in any case. So I think our net spend is going to be pretty low again, and and I just don't think that that you know much as we're pleased to be bringing in young players from the Championship, these are not proven. Premier League pedigree players and we shouldn't expect too much too quickly and I and this is just where my 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 bit is really because I think a lot of the time you know a lot of the fans think that Roy sort of over respects the opposition or you know gives them too much respect I, you know I, I don't know you know the, the the right perception for a lot of people but I think that I would say to you that our squad as I've said previously on the on the um, post-match pod, is kind of 15th in the Premier League material. And so, therefore, beating the, the teams that we should beat is is OK. But I don't think that, that you know, people should think that we are going to go beyond West Ham or Aston Villa or Newcastle or Brighton 
or those teams in that sort of midsection. And I think it's going to take Palace to spend probably £60 million on two more forward players to get them to 10th place in the Premier League. And if the prize money for five more places is, I don't know, 10 or £12 million for doing so, probably financially it doesn't make sense. And And we have been in this kind of, certainly since the involvement of Josh Harris and David Blitzer, in this kind of, sat in this kind of same situation where we've not invested in the squad whilst other people have. And it seems for me, if they want out and they're, they're looking for a buyer, that they're happy for us to tread water. They'll spend if they think there's a danger that their investment's going to go down the pan and we'll get relegated, as they did when Sam Allardyce was in charge. But otherwise, I don't think we're going to... we finished between 10th and 15th, I think, every season, haven't we, since we've been in the Premier League. And... I sense that that's probably what's going to happen again this season. You know, probably closer to 15 than 10, I would say. But I don't know until we take those steps and we start to progress again and show from a sporting level that we are trying to improve and do better, then I think we're going to we're going to have much the same. And this summer is going to be unbelievably interesting with 13 players out of contract because I don't imagine we're going to have um, tens and tens and tens of millions to go and replace them all either. So it could be a, a very interesting time at the club and almost like a new chapter, really. So I'm taking that as a yes <laughs> or a no. I'm not sure. <laughs> you, you did ask. <laughs> yes, I did. Um, OK, look, let's wrap up uh, our questions there. Um, after the break, we're going to preview uh, Palace's home game with Leeds. Welcome back to the 5 Plan Podcast. Hey. It's part four where we preview Palace's next game. It's at home to Leeds, uh, which will be a very interesting game indeed. Obviously, Chloe, the player that everyone will be talking about pre-game is one Patrick Bamford, <laughs> uh, who obviously had an awful spell with us four or five years ago and is now doing very well indeed for Leeds in the Premier League. Um, we've had a question from Crumply Addo who says, how excited is everyone for Patrick Bamford to exact revenge upon us for not believing in him four years ago? I'm personally very excited for it. I would just say, Chloe, uh, as a caveat, I have actually brought Bamford into my fantasy team this week. And players that come into my team have a history of losing their form and stopping scoring goals. So I thought I would take one for the team and transfer him in. So if he doesn't score this weekend, you're welcome, everyone. Um, But what are your thoughts on Bamford? Well, you know, I think um, I think he's like what twenty seven now, so he's at the peak of his career, and I just don't think he was good enough when he was with us. And it's really taken. I think he's probably one of these players that is maybe a sensitive soul, and he needed someone to put their arm around him, like Marco Bielsa, who basically when he came in and says, "You're my man," um, and. You know, you, you've got to be pleased for, for for Patrick Bamford that he's actually doing something with with his career in the Premier League now. Um, but uh, like, he was with us for not very long, four years ago, 
I'm not too bothered or fussed by it. I think I think it's going to be a really interesting game, actually. And I think it could go one of two ways, which is we they'll come on to us and we can hit them on the break. And as they've shown against Leicester um, uh, over the weekend, or was it last night? It was last night. Yeah, last night. Um, they um, they're, they're very weak defensively, and I think we could find some some gaps and cause them some some big old problems. But then I'm also caused to think if we try and play out from the back like we did against Wolves, I think they'll just be in there pressing us and um, and forcing mistakes in that way. So it could be it could be a nil nil, or it could be a very high scoring game. I'm slightly I'm slightly concerned. But I'm also slightly excited, um, and I'm I'm not too bothered about Bamford. I hope that um, Scott Dan or Gary Cahill just has a, has a, has him in their pocket the whole game, and uh, we keep him nice and quiet. Hopefully, it will it will Jesse be an interesting game. Actually, and Leeds have already shown uh, that they can definitely compete at this level so far this season, as has Bamford. But as Chloe says, there's definitely chinks in their armour and there's definitely goals to be had against them. And in fact, Joe Lee, one of our patrons, has said, should we copy the Leicester game plan from Monday night in playing Leeds? We have the players to do this. We do have the players to hurt Leeds, don't we? But they have the players to hurt us as well. We've got players in the mould of Ashley Barnes with pace and counter-attacking threat, but we don't have Vardy. We don't have a Vardy. He was absolutely amazing. And so, Harvey Barnes. Sorry, ha- sorry, Ashley Barnes. Harvey, Harvey, yeah. Harvey Barnes. <laughs> Thanks for that. He's not the <laughs> yeah, Harvey Barnes, you know, and Albright and those kind of players. We've got those, but we don't have a Vardy who no. was instrumental in completely punishing Leeds. I mean, I, I, all said and done, I have the, exactly the same fears about this match as I had for Wolves. I think they could hurt us. And it it depends how well we are prepared for that. Um, I think I feel like they're starting to um, after the Wolves defeat and the Leicester defeat. I feel like Leeds are starting to get the wind taken out of their sails a little bit. You know, thank God we did not play Leeds first this season because we probably would have got they scored three at Anfield, right? So yeah. I feel like it's about time we had the uh, the champions from the Championship a little later. And we're reminded of that Huddersfield match with Frank DeBurr. Um, you know, I, I yeah. <laughs> thank God we weren't in that situation with Leeds this year. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, ultimately, I feel the same concern that I had about Wolves. Like they, they're capable of hurting us, and um, I'm not sure what players we have to come back, if any, this week. Celsi, are you concerned by Leeds? Concerned by every opponent, JD, to be honest. <laughs> you know, it's the Premier League. It's the best league in the world, isn't it? That, you know, yeah. every game is difficult and all the teams have got very good players. I mean, it's been a remarkable season so far. You know, Liverpool getting beat 7-2 at, uh, at uh, Villa and then, you know, um, 6-1 Man United Spurs and all these kind of crazy results. But by far the craziest thing that's happened all season and a headline I thought I'd never see in the Premier League was Patrick Bamford scores a hat-trick. Yeah. That was uh, <laughs> that was clearly by far the biggest shock of the season. And he played at Palace like he had that cello that everyone banters him for playing on his back when he ran around, I think, to be fair. He was, um, he was 
far from impressive and I would have said possibly the most ineffective and worst player we've had since we've been back in the Premier League, Ooh. really. Um, Worse than Jimmy Kebe? Have, mm, yeah, I think so. And Jimmy Kebe was pretty terrible, but uh, <laughs> I think he still wow. had a bit more than, um, than Patrick Bavard. I mean, he did nothing for Palace and he did nothing for Norwich either when he played in the Premier League there either. So he's, he's not... He's not impressed, but as you say, Bielsa believes in him and maybe he's going to find himself now. But, you know, Patrick Bamford could score 20 goals on Saturday and I'd still be convinced that I wouldn't want him in Crystal Palace's side. So it's not, uh, I'm not, that wouldn't change anything for me. I think, you know, sure, he's perfectly capable of finishing a couple of chances. But if you're saying to me, would I want him back with us now? I think the answer's, I'd rather have. Batch, why or are you, frankly? You know, but I, I, it's a very difficult game against a very good side with a very good manager. But as um, Jesse said, you don't want to play the promoted teams too early in the season when they've still got that sort of don't know what's going to happen confidence about them and you get those funny results. It's a bit nicer to be playing them off the back of a couple of defeats and stuff. So I'm. I think we can do okay on Saturday, but I think, you know, again, it will be a, a difficult game, as all of them are. But, I, you know, I, I hope that we can uh, we can come out of that with a positive result, and I, I, I think we can. I would watch out, watch out for um, a player that I quite rate in their, in their set-up play is Helder Costa. Mm. And I think if, if things go the way that I've seen, he will be up against PVA. So I think that's an interesting little one to watch. I think there's danger uh, ahead there. Yeah, well they, have, well, they have a fantastic midfield. They have some unbelievable quality in there. Um, and I think this game really hinged on how we start. If we start this game out the blocks, you know, uh, high intensity and high pressing and uh, lots of energy, then I think and nick a goal... And if Celsius stat about going ahead and eighty five percent going on to get the points is is right, then I think it's there for the taking. But I think if we if we approach it a bit nervously, uh, then I think they will grow in confidence, and uh, they certainly have the skills to pick us off. So it'll be interesting. It, uh, as Chloe was saying, it could go one of two ways. I could see it, it could either be a one nil Palace or a four three Leeds this game. Like I genuinely <laughs> see it. Well, the the thing is, the thing is. Um... They want to play high, high octane, quick football. Maybe we should just drag them down to our level and just play, play at Stan's pace. A horrible little one nil victory, a harrowing one nil victory, a harrowing one nil victory. I'll settle for a harrowing one nil victory. Don't worry. A victory is a victory, and then at least it gives the uh, Twitterati a Saturday night to say something positive about Palace for once because. It's a pretty horrible place to be every time we lose, you know, and it's, uh, uh, I mean, they've been very brave leads and I don't know whether it's admirable or foolish at this stage. I guess the, mm. the run of the season will tell, but, you know, the uh, for just to an example, the three goalkeepers that they carry, Melier, who's playing, the young French lad who's 20, had played only a handful of games and no Premier League experience before going in. And he's shown some real good qualities and potential, but it's a big ask over a whole season. And Casilla, the backup goalkeeper, hasn't covered himself in glory at all since he's been there. 
And the third keeper in the squad has got no league experience whatsoever. So, you know, just as an example, that as a snapshot, they've been quite brave and they're very happy to sort of give people a chance and have a go. But my sort of experience tells me that that might be slightly naive. You know, I don't know. You know, time will time will tell. And, you know, it could be a little bit... Um, you know, whether they are just a sort of early season, you know, bright light that, that fades during the campaign or whether they've got the ability to continue to do it. I mean, he is, as Jesse said, a very good coach. So perhaps he'll be able to to get it out of them. But I think, I think it's, you know, I'm full of admiration for them, but I don't know whether they need more to get them through the Premier League season and kick on. That said, I don't see them being relegated at all, I have to say. Mm. No. Well, we'll see. It'll be an interesting encounter. And hopefully Palace can bounce back from that Wolves game um, with a victory. Uh, Guys, that's the end of the podcast. So thank you very much for joining me. Chloe, great to have you back on. Thanks so much for having me. It's always a pleasure. It's always a pleasure to have you on. And uh, we really appreciate your time. Jesse, good to see you for the hundredth time this week. Yeah. See you tomorrow, Jim. We're having breakfast. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'll let you know I'll let you know um, and uh, Selzy always appreciate uh, your time as well so thank you very much I, I always appreciate when you're scraping around the bottom of the barrel and I'll pop up you know it's always <laughs> good to be thanks, here thanks thanks mine not in Kelly I am really, really. <laughs> anyway Steffi Mr. Utility post match pod uh, you know main pod you know make the tea whatever you want you name it you play, squad you, player you, you, you say I'll play Valuable. As I said to you, there's no scrape in the barrel when all of my pod squad are top quality. (laughs) Sorry. Try not to put any provocative tweets out after this that might get me a load of abuse on Twitter, though, if you can help it. One, that wasn't me, and two, um, yeah, that wasn't me. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) I'm going to cut that. No, I might leave it in. No one's listening at this point. Uh, Thanks for listening. Um, Enjoy the rest of your week. See you again soon. Goodbye. Bye. Podcast Network.